Hello and welcome back to the Nutanix Community Podcast. This is episode 51. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me today. It was great to see and connect with many of you at our .next conference a couple weeks ago in New Orleans. I hope you all enjoyed the learning and sharing with many of the folks from the community. For those that could not attend, over the course of the next several weeks, I'll be sharing the audio from the keynotes in this podcast. This week, we join Nutanix CEO and founder Deeraj Pandey as he shares his thoughts on the multi-cloud challenge. He is joined on stage by Vijay Rayapati, General Manager of Beam Engineering, showcasing a demo of Beam capabilities. Let's join the discussion. Thank you, Ben, and good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. It's just uh, such an elation when I'm thinking about the Mardi Gras uh, crowd that came here. The partners, the customers, the NTCs. Uh, I mean, there were some great NTCs up there, you know, one I could relate to because they're on Slack as well. How many of you are in Slack, Nutanix internal Slack channel? Probably 5%. would love to actually see this community grow from here because this is not the only event we would love to meet you. We'd love to actually do this in a real-time, bite-sized communication on our own internal Slack channel itself. Now... Today, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but a lot of hard things, uh, a lot of things that take time to build and have evolved as the industry itself has evolved. And one of the hard things that I want to talk about is multi-cloud. Multi-cloud is a really hard problem because it's full of paradoxes. Uh, It's really about doing things that you believe are opposites of each other. It's about frictionless, but it's also about governance. It's about being simple, and it's also about being secure at the same time. It's about delight, it's about reducing waste. It's about owning and renting, and finally, it's also about core and edge. How do you really make this big at a core data center, whether it's public or private, or how do you really shrink it down to one or two nodes at the edge, because that's where your machines are, that's where your people are. So this is a really hard problem and as you'll hear from Sunil and, and the gang there, you'll realize how we've actually evolved our solutions to really cater to some of these. So one of the approaches that we have used to really solve some of these hard problems is to have machines do more. And I said a lot of things in those four words, have machines do more. Because if you double-click on that sentence, it really means we're letting design be at the core of this. How do you really design data centers? How do you really design products for the data center that hush all the escalations, the details, the complexities, use machine learning and AI and figure out anomaly detection and correlations and pattern matching? There's a ton of things that you need to do to really have machines do more. But along the way, the important lesson is to make machines invisible. Because when machines become invisible, it actually makes something else visible. It makes you visible. It makes governance visible. It makes applications visible, and it makes services visible. A lot of things makes teams visible, careers visible. So 
while we're really talking about invisibility of machines, we're talking about visibility of people. And that's how we really brought all of you together in this conference as well, because it makes all of us shine, including our products and your careers and your teams as well. And, you know, I try to define the word customer success. You know, it's one of the favorite words that I'm actually using. We've just hired a great leader in customer success recently who's really going to focus on this, uh, you know, relatively hard problem, yet another hard problem of customer success. Uh, we think that customer success, true customer success is possible when we have machines tend towards invisibility, but along the way when we do that, we make humans tend towards freedom. So that's the real connection, the yin-yang of machines and humans that Nutanix is really all about. And that's why design is at the core of this company. And when I say design, I mean reducing friction. And it's really about reducing friction. And everything you do, the most mundane of things, which could be about migrating applications, spinning up VMs, self-service portals, uh, automatic upgrades and automatic scale-out, and, and all the things we do is about reducing friction which really makes machines become invisible and humans gain freedom. Now, one of the other convictions we have is how all of us are really tied at the hip. You know, our success is tied to your success. If we make you successful, and when I say you, I really mean Main Street. You know, Main Street being customers and partners and employees. If you make all of you successful, then we automatically become successful. And, uh, you know, very coincidentally, Main Street and Wall Street are also tied uh, in that very uh, same uh, relation as well. And if we do a great job with Main Street, I think the Wall Street customer, i.e. the investor, will take care of itself. You know, if, you know, taking care of their success if we took care of Main Street success itself. And that's the narrative uh, that our CFO, Dustin Williams, actually went and painted uh, to... Uh, our Wall Street investors two months ago at our Investor Day conference, we talked about a $3 billion number. We said, look, as a company, as a software company, we can go and achieve $3 billion in billings three years from now. And uh, it was a telling moment for the company. It was really about talking about where we could be three years from now, but it was not based on a hunch. Uh, it was based on what we thought was customer success. Now, realize that $3 billion in pure software, is, there's only 15 companies around the world, 10 to 15 companies in the world that actually have that kind of a software billings number itself. But the core of this confidence was customer success, was the fact that we were doing a really good job of not over-promising and under-delivering, but under-promising, starting with small systems and growing the trust of the customers over time. And this is one of the statistics we actually talk about is repeat business. You know, the first dollar that a Global 2000 customer spends in Nutanix, you know, we go and increase the trust 15 times by year six, and we hope to actually get 17 and a half and 19 times more trust, you know, in the years seven and eight. And it's very similar numbers for non-Global 2000 as well. Again, we go and really hustle for customer success, start small, have you not worry about paying millions of dollars upfront? You know, start with systems that pay as they grow. You, know, you pay as you grow, and that's the way we gain trust. We have uh, the same global, non-global 2,000 pay six and a half dollars for the first dollar they've actually spent on us. And with this, I think the most telling moment was when Dustin concluded 
and this is key to this uh, audience here as well, is how the current cohorts, which is this audience here and many of them who are not here, will actually carry the weight of the $3 billion, more than 50% of it, if we did a great job of customer success. If we were humble and honest and we really figured out what it meant to take care of you, and if we really understood what starting small was and having to gain the trust with you over time, we think that more than 50% of that billings will actually come from this audience here, without even looking at new logos outside. So that's the crust of customer success for us, and it takes care of pretty much every customer, not just the Main Street customer, it takes care of Wall Street customer, it takes care of employees, it takes care of, it takes care of partners as well. Now, uh, before I talk about technology and products, I want to take a step back, because many of you are new in this audience, and um, I think that it behooves us to really you know, talk about the history of this company. Like, we've done a lot of things that started out as science projects, in fact, I see some tweets out there when people actually laugh at Nutanix Cloud. Uh, and uh, this is where we were in 2012. So if you take a step back and think about where the company was uh, almost seven, eight years ago, we were up against giants. There, were, there was a $30 billion industry around network attached storage and storage area networks and blade servers and hypervisors and systems management software and so on. So what did we start out with? Very simple premise that we will collapse the architecture of the data center because three-tier is wasteful and three-tier is not delightful. You know, it's a very simple hunch. We said we'll take rack-mount servers, we'll put a layer of software on top of it, and that layer of software back then only did storage, didn't do networks and security, and it ran on top of a well-known hypervisor from VMware, and uh, we said there's one non-negotiable thing, the fact that the design must change. The control plane for this data center cannot be the old control plane. It has to be rethought through, and that's why Prism came about. Now, we went and hustled hard to add more things to it. We said we need to make this diverse because it can't just be for one application. We need to make it CPU-heavy and memory-heavy and storage-heavy and flash-heavy and so on. And we built a highly configurable HCI. Not all of them are actually configurable, as you know of today. And uh, this was not just innovation in technology. It was innovation in business and sizing, capacity planning, a quote to cash, a business processes, a lot of stuff that we had to do to make this highly configurable so you can really scale capacity and performance independent of each other. Then, uh, in 2014, we did something that was very counterintuitive, but we've done this on and on and on again. Uh, people said, why are you disrupting yourself? You know, you've been doing a good job of uh, shipping appliances, but we also had the conviction that HCI was not about hardware. It was about a form factor, but it was really about an operating system. And we started to compete with ourselves when we said, you know what, we'll do arm's length distribution, we'll do arm's length delivery of products when we give our software to a Dell partner, uh, to uh, Dell as a partner, as an OEM partner. But at the same time, it was actually seen with a lot of skepticism, like, you know, these guys are really you know, wondering how to really make uh, themselves vanish because they're competing with themselves. But we also knew that if we didn't compete with ourselves, someone else will. Now, uh, one of the most controversial decisions was really going and doing yet another hypervisor. You know, in the year 2015, it was really preposterous to build yet another hypervisor. It was a very mature market. Uh, this was coming uh, probably 15 years too late to the market, or at least 10 years too late to the market. And most people said, 
It shouldn't be done. Because hypervisor is a commodity. And that's the word we latched onto. That this commodity should not have to be paid for. It shouldn't have a team of people managing it. It, it should actually be part of your overall stack, but it should be invisible. Just like storage needs to be invisible, virtualization needs to be invisible. But it was a bold step, and I think, you know, at least uh, when we look at our current numbers, one-third of our customers are actually using AHV, at least every quarter that we look at it, our new deployments, at least 35% of it is actually being used uh, on AHV itself. And uh, again, a very preposterous thing to have said five years ago, four years ago, to where we've actually come. Thank you so much for all of you who've believed in the fact that virtualization software must be invisible, and therefore we should actually try out something that is called AHV today. Now, uh, we went and added uh, Lenovo to uh, our OEM mix, we started to become even more of a software company uh, in the, the year 2016. Uh, went and added an HP and Cisco, you know, some of our very large deals that we talk about in earnings call or HP deals and Cisco deals, and there's some very large customers who have uh, procured ELAs from us, enterprise license agreements from us, where they want to mix and match hardware, want to mix Dell hardware with HP hardware, but have common standard Nutanix entitlements. And finally, I think uh, this was another one of those moments where we said, you know what, why should HCI be only limited to x86? You know, this operating system deserves to run on a non-x86 architecture as well, and that gave birth to this idea of HCI and power systems from IBM, and we've done a great job of really innovating with them in the last uh, three, four quarters, some amazing uh, innovation that has come out where you can now run AIX 7.x on Nutanix, and for the first time in the history of data center, you can actually have a single software, not just a data plane, but a control plane, where you can manage an IBM farm, a power farm, an open power farm, and an x86 farm from the same control plane and have you know, the IBM farm feed storage to an Intel compute farm and vice versa. So some really good things that we've actually done. Now along the way, something else was going on. While we were really busy building the private cloud, we knew that there was a new consumption model on computing itself, which pe people were renting compute, uh, computing using credit cards. This is the era of the millennials. They were like, really want to bypass people because at the end of the day, you know, why can't computing be consumed like the way e-commerce is? And that DevOps movement made us realize that we need to add to our stack. That stack will now have other computing clouds. There's AWS and Azure and, and uh, GCP now. So similar to the way we did Prism, you know, Prism was uh, really about going and making hypervisors invisible. You know, we went ahead and said, we'll add Calm to our portfolio because Calm is now going to be what Prism was to us uh, back when we were really dealing with multiple, uh, multi-hypervisor world. Now it's going to be a multi-cloud world. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things we had a gut around and we've really come to expect a lot of feedback and Real innovation, I mean, yesterday when uh, we had the hackathon, the center, the epicenter of the discussion was calm. Was how do you automate on multiple clouds without having to write a single line of code? So we've come a long way since the acquisition of calm two years ago. I think it's going to be a great, uh, you know, a strong pillar in our overall product portfolio itself. Now, uh, the word multi-cloud is going to be used and overused. You know, in fact, it's going to be 
blurring its uh, lines with the idea of hyperconvergence of clouds. You know, what does it mean? We just hope that uh, hyperconvergence, the way it's called today, will morph to become hyperconverged clouds, not just hyperconverged boxes, which is a software-defined infrastructure definition itself. But let's focus on the why of multi-cloud. Like, why do we think it can't all go into a public cloud itself? And the one big reason is just laws of the land. There's data sovereignty and computing sovereignty, uh, regulations and compliance, because of which you need to be in uh, where the government, where the, where the regulations, where the compliance uh, rules want you to be. And by the way, that's just one reason why the cloud will have to disperse itself. It can't just be 10, 20 large data centers around the world itself because we have 200 plus countries and half of computing actually gets done outside the US itself. So it's a really important, very relevant point about the why of multi-cloud. The second one is just simple laws of physics. You know, if there are machines at the edge and they're producing so much data, you can't bring all the data to the compute. You have to take the compute, which is stateless. It's an app. You take the app to where the data is because the network is the enemy. The network has always been the enemy. And when you thought we've made fatter networks, we've just produced more data as well. So this just goes without saying that you have take something that's stateless, that's without gravity, that's lightweight, which is compute the application, and push it where, close to where the data itself is. And the third one, which is related, is just latency reasons. You know? And it's not just about machine latency and electrons transferring with the speed of light, and you can't fight the speed of light. It's also about human latency. It's also about multiple teams saying, you know, I need we need to federate and delegate, and we need to push things down to where the teams are, as opposed to having to expect everybody to come to a very large computing power itself. So all the whys, the way, the way they are, uh, there will be at least three different ways of looking at multi-cloud itself. There's a centralized core cloud. We all you know, go and relate to this, because we've seen large data centers and so on. And that's the back office workhorse. You know, it will crunch numbers. It will do processing. It will do a ton of things that will go and produce results for uh, you know, how we run our businesses. But there's also the dispersal of the cloud. It's the robo-cloud. And this is the front office server. It's really serving. Uh, it's a cloud that's going to serve people. It's going to be closer to people. And that's what a robo-cloud is. We have a ton of customers out here who actually use Nutanix at the robo-environments themselves. There's one node, two node, three node, five node servers. And it just collapses the entire server closet room in these robots into something really, really small and minuscule. And finally, there's going to be another dispersed edge cloud, because that's where the machines are. That's where the data is. And then there's going to be an IoT machine fog, because we need to miniaturize computing to something even smaller, maybe something that can really land on a palm in a, in a, a mini server, which is a, a PC-like server, we need to run everything that's enterprise grade. You should be able to go and upgrade them and monitor them and analyze them and uh, you know, you know, do enough computing out there, maybe event-based processing that can actually happen. In fact, there's some great innovation that we have done at the edge with IOTs that I'd love for all of you to actually attend some sessions around as well. So with that being said, we have a hole in the stack. And that hole is probably one of the hardest problems that we have been trying to solve for the last two years. And uh, you know, Sunil will talk a lot about that. It's uh, this idea of hybrid. 
the hybrid of multi-cloud is one of the hardest problems. Why? Because we're talking about really blurring the lines between owning and renting, where you have uh, a single-tenant environment, which is your data center, and a multi-tenant environment, which is the service provider's data center, and the two must look like the same. And the two must look like the same is that hard a problem, not just for uh, burst-out capacity, not just for security, not just for identity, but also for networks. Like, how do you blur the lines between networks? How do you blur the lines for storage? How do you really blur the lines for a single pane of glass where you can think of availability zones that look highly symmetric, even though they are not, because one of them is owned by you and it's single tenant, the other one is not owned by you, that's multi-tenant itself. So there's some really hard problems in hybrid that you'll hear Sunil talk about uh, and the team and uh, some great strides that we've actually made uh, in the last 12 months of really working on, on Xi itself. And that completes the picture now in terms of how we believe the state of computing will be going forward. So what are the uh, must-haves of a multi-cloud operating system? We talked about uh, marketplace, which is uh, catalogs and automation. There's a ton of orchestration that needs to be done for multi-cloud to come together because now you have a self-service portal which is providing an e-commerce view. It's really about you know, getting to do a lot of requests and workflows without having people come in the way, without even having tickets. There's no need for tickets if you can really start to think like a self-service portal, like as if you're just transacting e-commerce uh, with uh, machines and portals themselves. Obviously, the next one is network and security. You need to have really, uh, you need to blur the lines between, between on-prem and off-prem itself, and these two play a huge role. And uh, there's going to be a ton of details that you'll see Sunil talk about. But finally, what the thing that I want to focus on the rest of the talk itself here is about governance and compliance. This is a hard problem, and it's a hard problem because things have evolved. So I want to take a step back, last 30 years of computing. How have consumption models changed? So think about it. 30 years ago, we were making decisions for 10 plus years. You know, mainframe, 10 years worth, at least 10 years worth, probably even 20 plus years worth of decisions. You know, these were decisions that were extremely waterfallish. We make tens of millions of dollars worth of investment for a device that you'd buy for at least 10 to 20 years. Now, as uh, we move to client-server, that thing actually shrunk. Now you're talking about five years' worth of decisions, and these things were smaller. So there's a little bit more velocity in our decisions. We were not making as waterfallish a decision as we used to with mainframes, but still five years. And talk about virtualized three-tier, maybe three to five-year decisions, you know, there's still relatively big decisions that we were making with compute and storage and sand fabrics and, and virtualization software and systems management software and so on. And here comes Nutanix and we said, no, no, we need to make it smaller. It has to become smaller because, you know, we need to make more agile decisions. We need to add machines every week, every month, as opposed to adding, you know, machines every three to five years. And we need to be able to upgrade them, you know, in point in time. We can do them upgrades every month if you had to, every week if you had to, and so on. So really about uh, more agility. And yet, we were not complete because there's another revolution going on off-prem in the public cloud where people are, you know, going and doing reserved instances. But more than that, they were doing on-demand stuff, which now the decision was days to weeks. Some of these things that the unit of compute was being 
rented for days to weeks, not years. And if you needed something more, you'd shift a little to the left and use reserved instances. And then spot pricing, you know, you could do spot pricing for hours and finally Lambda functions. Now you could do functions as a service where things could actually be running only for minutes, not even hours. So as you can see, there's a wide spectrum where when you move to the right, you get more elasticity, and when you move to the left, you're talking about predictable decision-making, and in fact, goes from minutes on one side to tens of years in the other itself. And uh, we hope to actually go and blur the lines between where NTNX is today, where you see Nutanix right now, to where we really want to be with reserved instances and, and on-demand. And that's the real ask of Nutanix. How do you take care of this discontinuity? Because when you are owning things, you actually end up here. When you're renting things, you end up here. What does it mean to really blur the lines between the two? Because people do want to make decisions that are better than reserved instances in the public cloud. We'll talk about why reserved instances, which looks like a proxy for Nutanix, is still very, very wasteful. Even though you might think it's delightful, it's very, very uh, wasteful. So um, what does it mean for on-prem and off-prem? You, know, uh, you, know, you talk about cost governance, there's security compliance, there's high-velocity decisions we're actually making, you know, where sometimes you could be right in cost but wrong on security, but sometimes you could be right in security but wrong on cost. We need to really figure out how machines make some of these decisions for us, how software helps us decide, do we have the right balance between cost governance and security compliance itself? And to get it right, we have introduced uh, our first SaaS service called Beam. And to talk more about Beam, I want to introduce uh, Vijay Rayapati, who is the general manager of Beam Engineering, to come on stage and talk about Beam itself. Thank you, Vijay. So you've been here a couple of months now? Yes. Uh, at the same time, you spent the last seven, eight years really hand-holding AWS. Tell us more about it. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time trying to understand over the last five years at Minjur, you know, how customers are really consuming in this new world, right, for their workloads. So essentially, what we tried to do is understand the consumption models, workload patterns, and also build algorithms and apply intelligence to say, how can we lower this cost and, you know, improve compliance of their workloads? And now with Nutanix, what we are trying to you know, do is how can we converge this consumption, right? Because what happens here is most customers start with on-demand kind of a consumption thinking it's really easy, but the total cost of ownership is so high. As the workload elasticity increases, people go towards spot or a scaling, but then you need a lot more automation that something like Calm can you know, help them with. And, but predictability of the workload increases, then you need to move towards reserved instances, right, to lower cost. But and those are some of the things that you go and advise with some of the software that you folks have right. written. But there is a lot of waste even in the reserved instances because what happens is while customers make these commitments for a year or a three years, what we see across, like, we track a billion dollars in public cloud consumption, you know, as a beam. And... Customers use 20, 25% of you know, utilization of their commitments, right? So how can you really apply, take the data of consumption, you know, apply intelligence to essentially reduce their you know, overall cost of ownership? You said something that's very telling. You said that reserved instances, even though they're supposed to save, are still only 20, 25% utilized. Yes, because the workloads are very dynamic. 
And the next thing is you can't do hot add CPU or a hot add memory because you are buying them for peak capacity, right? There is no convergence of you know scaling that apart Very from you know scaling as another node. So you actually sized it for peak, but then using 20, 30%, you're still paying for the peak. That's right. That can actually add up. Yeah, I mean that's what we are trying to say. You know, how can we deliver visibility across clouds? You know, how can we deliver optimization? You know, across clouds and consumption models and bring the control while you know, retaining that agility and you know, great. elasticity. It's great, So you want to show us something? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so this is Beam, uh, as just Dheeraj outlined, our first SaaS service, and uh, this is my first .next, and uh, uh, you know, glad to be here. So what you see here is a global consumption uh, you know, for a business across different clouds, you know, whether that's in a public cloud like Amazon or Azure or Nutanix, we kind of bring the consumption together for the month, for the recent months, you know, across your accounts and services, and apply intelligence to say, you know, what is your spend efficiency, you know, across these clouds, right? Essentially, there is a lot of intelligence that goes in to detect your workloads and consumption model to say, if you're spending $100, how efficiently are you spending? How can you increase that, right? Dynamic. So you have a centralized view where you're looking at multiple clouds and... You know, you talk about, maybe you can take an example of an account and start yes. looking at it. Let's go into a cloud provider like, you know, for this business, let's go and take a look at, you know, what's happening inside an Amazon cloud. Here, we get into the deeper details of, you know, what's happening with the consumption of a specific services, as well as, you know, the utilization of both on-demand and RI, you know, what can you do to lower your costs and detect your spend efficiency of a dollar to see, you know, are there resources that are provisioned by teams for applications that are not being used? Or are there resources that we should go and right size because you know we have all this monitoring data, configuration data that we crunch through to basically detect this. You so what is uh, billions of events that you look at every day? You, you're already looking at a billion dollars worth of AWS spend. Right, you're right. So billions of events, billing, metering events every day to really figure out how to optimize for them. So what we have here is uh, a very popular uh, international government wow, organization. Wow, So it looks like and Russians are everywhere or the cloud is everywhere, actually. Yeah, it's, it's quite popular. So we have, so when you bring your master account uh, into Beam, uh, we kind of detect all the linked accounts, uh, you know, uh, under that. Then you can go and take a look at, not just at an organization level, within at an account level. So and these are child objects, like, you know, you can right. think of them as ephemeral accounts that you create because you don't want to be on the record when you're doing spends on Facebook, for example. Right, let's go and take a look at uh, what's happening inside a Facebook ad spend account, right? So we have, uh, you know, consumption of various services. Let's go deeper into compute consumption, and you kind of see a trend line. You can do a lot of pivoting. Uh, as you see, looks like one campaign has ended. They started another campaign. Looks like they're not stopping yet, man. There's a lot of money being made on Facebook right now. <laughs> so... Not only just get visibility at a uh, you know compute as a service uh, inside a cloud provider, you can go deeper inside compute and say you know what is that service that I'm really consuming inside compute along with the CPUs and stuff, right? What is my data transfer? You know what is my network? You know what is my load balancers, right? So you essentially get a very deeper visibility, uh, you know, as a service, right? Because we have three goals for Beam. You know how can we deliver visibility across clouds? How can we deliver visibility across services? And how can we deliver then optimization, right? Let me Well, I think one thing that I just want to point out is how this uh, SaaS application was an extremely teachable moment for me to learn about the different resources that people could use right. about the public cloud. So all of you 
who actually have not gone deep enough into the idea of public cloud, this could be a great app for you to learn about things, the resources, the uh, you know, things that you could do to save and security and things of that nature. So. Yeah. So, and we really believe in, you know, creating the single-pane view, uh, you know, to manage your optimization of a public cloud. Uh, you know, as Ben spoke about, you know, as a business, you need to have freedom to use any cloud, and that's what Beam delivers, right? How can you make the right decision for the right workload to, you know, use any of the cloud, cloud of your choice. How about databases? You talked about uh, yeah. compute as well. but Yes, let's go and take at? a look at, uh, you know, database consumption, right? What you see here is they're using, inside Facebook ad spend, they're using all databases except Oracle. Wow. Looks like Oracle sales folks have been active in Russia as well. <laughs> so what we are seeing here is a global view of how can you, you know, what is your spend efficiency and which is kind of a scorecard for your business, uh, for the dollars that you're spending. And the great thing is Beam kind of brings together, uh, you know, through its intelligence and algorithms to detect, you know, how can you right-size resources and how can you, you know, eliminate things that you're not using. Yeah. And we deliver a one-click fix, right? Let's go and take a look at resources that are maybe provisioned for storage and not being used. We deliver the seamless, same one-click philosophy that Nutanix has to eliminate it. Right? So one-click, you can actually just pick some of these wasteful things uh, that might be looking delightful when, because, because using public cloud, using credit cards, you can go in and just say click, fix, and it takes care of things. Yeah, and not only remove the resources that are unused, but you can go and right-size resources across your compute, databases, load balances, even path services, right? And, uh, and this is where you know, the power of it kind of uh, you know, comes for a business, whether you're using on-prem and off-prem. You know, how can you really converge that consumption you know, across both? So do you have something for Nutanix too? Or? Yes, so we have basically uh, you know, bring, working on Nutanix. This is something that we are going to deliver uh, you know, later this year. Uh, as you can see here, we are bringing together the consumption for the Nutanix uh, you know, the services that you are using, the licensing and capacity that is available, and how can you also go and optimize within Nutanix environments, right, before you... It's great. It's for great. the next workload. Now let me quickly show you what we have on the compliance uh, side. This is an extremely powerful thing that we've been working on for many years. What we deliver here, just like in cost governance, a global view of your compliance across cloud providers, right? And the most powerful thing is you can go into a cloud provider, get the next level of visibility across cloud regions, right, for hundreds of policies, not just policies, but those policies across different regulatory compliances like HIPAA, PCI, CAS. And that's very powerful because... So you're saying that uh, a lot of what you folks have done is codified these compliance checks in software to make sure that people can sleep better yes. at night, knowing that it's PCI and uh, HIPAA and, and all that compliance action yeah. comes together. And you can build this not just by cloud accounts, you can build them across cloud accounts, you know, which is what we call security centers. Uh, and now, essentially, you can go and take a deeper look at you know, the things. We do a whole full-body scan for your cloud infrastructure, whether it's AWS or Amazon, Amazon uh, or Azure. And you can go and now Again, click to fix things you know, that are being probably provisioned, that are violating uh, you know, the security compliance rules that shouldn't be there. Again, we have the same one-click philosophy 
to say, you know, how can you really, you know, you know, remove uh, things. So again, like similar that. to save, you're saying you can go and fix some of these security issues by just doing one click. Absolutely. So the idea is how can we give uh, people the freedom to get visibility and use the right cloud and take the decisions instantly through one click, right? That's what Beam delivers, uh, you know, today. And, uh, you know, we're really excited. Uh, and it's available at beam.nutanix.com. And Our first SaaS service, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for doing this, Vijay. <laughs> looks like there's going to be a talk here at 10.30. You'll talk more about the midterm elections there, probably? Yes. So yeah? you can go and write your own security compliances as well, uh, you, know, uh, you know, within Beam. Uh, and a lot of powerful things you can do. Awesome. Thank you thank so you much, Vijay. Really appreciate it. So, uh, you know, as you see, there's a lot of work that we're doing to really make multi-cloud, which is a hard problem. You know, think about working the whole body of it. You know, what about cost governance? What about security compliance? Obviously, what about hybrid networks and security and storage and, you know, compute and many of the things that you've actually heard from us, but we're taking it to a level where the business users can now understand the implications. The CFO's office can understand the implications of waste and delight. So what does customer success mean to us? You know, again, my favorite word uh, in a long, long time is, is really go and figure out how do you make you, the customer, become operationally efficient? You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we deliver through software that's completely uncovered. It's so latent, you don't even know you have it, but you've paid for it. So you've got to figure out what does it mean for you to really become operationally efficient, organizationally proficient. You know, it's really important for training, education, stuff that... You know, your people might think it's so awkward to do in Nutanix, but it could have been way simpler if you just told you a place where you could go and read about it. You know, so, oh, of course, I could just use one click here as opposed to doing things the old way. But most importantly, to make it financially accountable. So at the end, you know, there's, uh, is, again, one of the things that I think about all the time when we're building this company, because obviously there's a lot of stuff that we want to do to you know, create offense, you know, things above the line and top line and everything else, there's also a bottom line. Delight and waste are two sides of the same coin. You know, when we're talking about developers who seek delight with public cloud, at the same time you're looking at IT folks who are trying to figure out governance. They're like, look, you know, the CFO's office, the CIO's office, they're trying to figure out how to curb waste. You know, these two things have to go hand in hand in this era of multi-cloud where we're talking about frictionless consumption, but also governance that uh, looks invisible. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, this company will do a lot of stuff around one-click delight, but also go and figure out how do you reduce waste because there's so much waste, including folks that who actually own Nutanix. There's so much software entitlements. There's so much waste in the public cloud itself that if we don't go and put our arms around, it will not lead to customer success. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the Nutanix online community at next.nutanix.com for resources from the .next conference, as well as continuing the conversation and sharing your thoughts. We hold Nutanix user group meetings throughout the year where you can connect with the community and learn more about us. And a quick reminder, .next London is held in November, so consider registering early. If you're a blogger, ping me and I can provide you with a blogger pass. Hope to see you in November. Finally, follow Nutanix Nation on Twitter for news and announcements. From the team here at Nutanix, have a great week. Hey.